Good evening, everyone. Broadcasting live. Oh, no, something's very wrong with my computer now. Firefox, anyway. Firefox is really causing problems. Anyway, tonight's quote is from the Madhima Nikaya. What Tasukta? Madhima Nikaya number seven. Sayatapi bhikkhavi vatthang sankilitthang malangahitthang Just as bhikkhus vatta, what a cloth, sankilitthang is defiled, malangahitthang, stained. Tammenang rajako yasming yasming rangatate Upasangharaya. And then a person who dyes cloth would like to uh, dip it in yasming yasming rangajate in various kinds of dyes. Whether it be nila. Nilaka is uh, Nilaka Blue Yellow or red Pitaka or Lohitaka Or white? No, what's the, what's the other? A red or crimson? Don't know what crimson is. Some crimson red. Durata vannamivasa aparisuddha vannamivasa. not be properly dyed. That's not quite the translation. Durata Varnam It will be, yeah, it would be hard to dye it. And it will have a, or it will have a Durata. Poorly dyed. 
color. Aparisunda one mamayasa. Of an impure color. So if your cloth is impure, doesn't matter what color dye you uh, put it in. It's not going to come out clean. It's apropos of today. I don't know if Tina is watching, but uh, just received an outer robe. So Tina sent that from. We sent it from here to Washington State, and Tina sent it, um, sewed it all up, put wool, a wool liner on it, and then sent it back. I tried dyeing the other cloth, but my dyeing skills aren't up to snuff. You need really good dye, and you need the equipment. You really need a pot and a fire, and so on. In Sri Lanka, we used to dye our clothes, or we once dyed. I dyed cloth in Sri Lanka. I dyed cloth in Thailand once, in Sri Lanka once. In Sri Lanka, um, um, we ordained, I ordained my first novice, and uh, he, they gave him these bright, bright orange robes. And so we thought, mm, that's okay, we'll just dye them. And so we got this pot, not a big enough pot, but we put it over a fire outside and started heating it up. And then we put the robe on a stick and slowly lowered it in and lifted it up. And then he went and washed that. And we tried it for the second one and we put it in. Oh, and it came out bright orange. And we realized the second one wasn't, uh, second one wasn't cotton. It was polyester. So it wouldn't take the dye at all. So we could also adapt this and say polyester cloth. If, you're, if your mind is like polyester cloth, if your mind is fake, doesn't matter what you do. If your heart isn't in the right place, if you're not sincere in, in mind, if you're not pure of heart, nothing you do will turn out well. Whether you live in the world, whether you live as a Buddhist monk, or whether you become rich or poor or stay poor whether you have ambitions to become a doctor or a lawyer business person or even the president of the United States of America nothing you do will turn out right it will just be full of stress and suffering mottled like a cloth that is already stained and dirty if a cloth is stained and dirty the dye won't won't take, and when you wash it, the dye will be blotched and uneven. And then he says something that uh, says something that my teacher often would repeat. Chitte sankinite dugati patikanka. Chitte asankinite sugati patikanka. 
for a mind or when the mind is defiled today when the mind sankirite is defiled dugati dugati a bad destination patikanka patikanka means without doubt there is a there is a bad destination it means hell is the is the or a bad destination one of the lower realms of existence is the result or in general just a bad future is certain when the mind is undefiled sugati so is good a good destination patikanka is without a doubt In Buddhism, it's all about the mind. When your mind is defiled, you mess up everything. You're stressed, you suffer. You can have all the riches in the world, but you're constantly worried or stressed or covetous. You're angry, frustrated, fighting. So many, so much suffering. All these, actually, suffering that we kind of take for granted is maybe not the word we become complacent about. We don't realize that there's any way to be free. We, we think of happiness as a way of, as that, whatever way we can find to uh, find respite from these inevitable feelings that we have, the inevitable impurities that we have. And so we're always trying to find a way to block them out and so we, we don't realize how how much more happy we can be than really the happiest non-meditator on earth whether they be rich or powerful whatever happiness or pleasure they might have it can never be as much as a person who is free from the desires and so on. Because it's always going to be a flame. There's always going to be obsession and concern and worry and boredom and reaction and the constant struggle to find, no matter how powerful or rich or, or uh, well off you are. Even up in heaven, even the angels have worries and cares and can get angry, upset. Not often, but they, it does happen. When an angel gets angry, apparently it's a cause for them to fall from heaven. They, they die from heaven if they get really angry. Apparently the commentary says something like that. It's because heaven is a cause is caused by pure mind state. Heaven is, one is born in heaven because of purity of mind. Mundane purity or super mundane as well. So for that very good reason, we should take care of our mind. And try and be as mindful as we can of our defilements, study them learn about them, free ourselves from them.
Anyway, so that's our Dhamma quote for tonight. Uh, I'm going to post the Hangout, but again, mostly for people asking questions. If you do have questions, join the Hangout. I've pasted it at meditation.sirimangalo.org. Click on the link. Otherwise, we'll just call it a night. Hello, Ben. Do you have a Hello. question? Do you have a question for me? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I um, my question was uh, sorry, I wrote it down before. Um, I, I, I um, I'm trying to do the the five precepts, but I struggle with the the not eating meat side of things. And I recently found out that the Dalai Lama isn't necessarily a vegetarian mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I don't, don't even know if he keeps the five precepts because I've heard, I heard someone tell me that uh, someone asked him what do you do if a mosquito lands on your on your arm and he said when you go like this you brush it off yes and they said, they said well what if, it, what if it lands on your arm again he said well you brush it off again and they said well what if it lands on your arm again and he says well Apparently, yeah. he did that. this is what I heard. I didn't see the interview, but apparently that was an interview. So I don't yeah. even know if it's a five precept. I know in Tibetan Buddhism sometimes there is some uh, talk about drinking alcohol in certain instances. So, so it's, it's a Theravada thing or a Vipassana thing or not necessarily... Theravada, uh, Theravada we keep... You have to understand the Mahayana. They came up with this idea of expedient means whereby you can break precepts if it helps, if it supposedly helps you spread the Dharma, um, teach whatever, teach your teachings, bring people to closer to enlightenment. Our argument is that it could never do that. Mm. Breaking the precepts inherently not good. No. So... I um, but that being said, eating meat is not killing. No, and, and that was the that was kind of the um, that was kind of the explanation for it. It's like the 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 meat he didn't kill the animal. No, no, it, it's not it, the act of eating is not killing. Yeah. So so the act of eating is not breaking one of the five precepts. Right. So if you, to, if you want to argue that there's connections, that's not what the precepts are about. The precepts are refraining from those actions that are, well, not only unwholesome, but are extremely unwholesome. 
that are yeah. dangerously unwholesome. So there's a lot of things that aren't in the five precepts. Gambling isn't in the five precepts. Um, you know, torture isn't in the five precepts. Yeah. So it's just these are recognized, and, and they're simple as well, so they're easy for people to understand. Okay, don't kill. I mean, it's really a no-brainer. So they're a good basic set of rules for people to keep. That's all the five precepts are. You shouldn't take them as the entirety of morality. Right. Morality right. is about your state of mind. If your mind, oh. as, as I just went through, if your mind is pure, you go to heaven and yeah. get closer to freedom as well. If your oh. mind is impure, you can get more entangled. All right. So a person can eat meat with a pure mind. And that's why, according to our school of Buddhism, it's not really an issue. Right. We're not really into social justice or that kind of thing. We're into mental uh, peace of mind, mental health, and the rest we figure comes. Like if you stop killing, and if you, more importantly, if you stop minds that are mind states that are cruel, you know, people will stop killing animals for meat in the first place. Yeah, so you can still be a good Buddhist and eat meat. As long as you're not killing. Yeah, I mean, if you're living in the world, you do it. You should be careful, and you should be aware. It's one of those things that has issues surrounding it. I mean, it's very close to killing. So if you're buying meat, well, you know, not really a good thing. You know, I wouldn't feel guilty about it necessarily, but something you should be conscious of. If I'm buying meat, well, I'm kind of, you know, it's not really perfect. So moving yeah. towards vegetarianism, I think, is a great thing. Actually, there's no point in eating. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for your health. And the only thing good about it is people are addicted to the taste, and that's not Buddhist. So, absolutely, I think vegetarianism is great. But I I say that, and at the same time, wanting to be clear, it's not the eating the meat that's a problem. It's the, you know, well, it's killing that is is a problem. So if you do eat meat, you shouldn't feel guilty about it. Um, but it's uh, as a social socially aware sort of thing to do. And moving towards vegetarianism, I think, is is useful, important, good. There's right. lots of reasons for it. So you can my teacher, someone came to my teacher and said he was eating vegetarian. and said, oh good, you won't get bird flu. Because <laughs> there was the big bird flu scare. Well, not scare, it was a horrible bird flu situation in Thailand and Asia. Yep. And it's interesting, interesting for him to say that because the Buddha said something similar. He said, "You have we have it recorded in the Tipitaka, you know, whether it's real or not. But this is what the Buddha supposedly said: before the before the killing of animals for food, before the killing of cows, I think he said specifically, there were only three diseases in the world. And after killing, after they started killing cows, a uh, hundred and some new diseases arose." I mean, whatever that means, but the sentiment of it is really interesting that the Buddha would say something that is really, you know, something we should recognize, is that animals, killing animals, not just the eating of them, but the process of killing and having their blood in the sewers and that kind of thing um, leads to a lot more sickness. Oh, absolutely. Um, not the, uh, the, the things that happen when um, animals are killed and that, like, the environmental impact and things like that. There's, you know, 
Cowspiracy, that documentary, I don't, I don't know, you probably, you know, just shows, uh, just shows the impact of like what meat eating does for the growing population and that, but yeah, neither here nor there really, yeah, yeah, if you've not seen it. But um, so mentioned how awful it is to this all the killing that goes on. It's it's awful. There's no question. We're not we're not uh, ignorant to that. I'm not ignorant mm -hmm. to that. But so you can still take the five precepts and indulge yeah, in eating meat. But you know, I think a good Buddhist thing to do is to move towards vegetarianism as much as you can. But if you end up eating meat. If you're offered meat or something, or the opportunity arises to eat meat, I wouldn't think twice. I wouldn't bat an eyelash. It doesn't exclude you from being a no. good Buddhist. No, you shouldn't feel no. guilty about it. I mean, Buddhism isn't about feeling guilty anyway. Buddhism is about learning to be happy, finding a way to be truly happy. Mm. There's no reason to be unhappy because you're chewing on somebody's dead body. <laughs> They've left it. They're gone. They've moved on. Yeah, they're already gone. They're not feeling any pain. <laughs> no interest in it anymore. Um, and as far as like the uh, the the sort of ten precepts and that the you know not uh, beautifying yourself and things mm. like that and or is that more a monastic well, kind of thing? There's eight precepts that people will take when they come here to practice or when they go to a yeah. meditation center in this tradition to practice. Uh, and then novices will take ten, and as a Buddhist monk, I have hundreds. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that must be quite challenging. Well, to start well with there are a lot of minor rules. Yeah. It's not that challenging. It's, it can be a time. No. As long as you've got your uh, isolation, I guess. Yeah, we were talking about it. The, I shaved my head recently, and this this one I, I had been talking to this woman, and she said, "So can I touch you?" And I said, "Well, you know, technically, you can do whatever you want. You don't have the rules." I said, mm -hmm. "I can't touch you, and I can't really, you know, I, I can't. Um, I think I have to say something, or 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 if I know you're going to touch me, I can't." Offer myself to be touched, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So when I shaved my head, she reached over and rubbed my head, the top of my head. She's about. No, she's anyway. So, yeah. You're saying a lot of this stuff is just uh, sort of dogma. Like it's um, uh, part of the institution, not necessarily part of the what it's all about. Um, well, I mean, and we, then I talked to her about it. She said, "You know, I can I I can do." It. And I said, "Well, you know, it's," she, or she said, "There's no rules." And I said, "Well, there are rules in in cultures, and they make a lot of sense. Like in Thailand, if I if my Thai students found out that someone had rubbed my head, a woman had rubbed my head, yeah. uh, it's breaking so many rules. Yeah. It's, it's wrong on many many levels." Yeah. Oh no. I mean, I mean you don't ever touch anyone's head in Thailand unless they're. 10, 20 yeah. years younger than you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and let alone no, a person touching a monk's head and a woman touching a monk's head. But whatever, it's not her rules. And, you know, I think that's important. It's important that we we make it clear that um, 
we are not trying to impose anything on you. And I, I think we could argue that it's a bit disrespectful to go around rubbing monks' heads. <laughs> but uh, it, I think the, the idea is it's important for people to get there on their own rather than be like, oh, you know, that's wrong. Don't do that kind of thing. Yeah, it's about the outcome. Of the... She's just being silly. She, anyway, her name Grace, and she's uh, she's. Well, there's a group of us. We're we're adult learners. Yeah. Um, her and then there's another woman, Carrie. We're all in this Buddhism class together. Yep. And we, but novices is a fair game. Sorry. Novices is a fair game, though. I can't hear you. Novice is a fair game, though. You can. They're pretty much. Um, Novices, did you say? Yeah, I would. I, um, uh, I was at a. Um, I went to the. Um, the was it a Watsawan Mock and um, near uh, near Chaya near um, mm -hmm. you know, near uh, Suratani. Mm -hmm. They have like the international Dharma heritage there and. Um, yeah, they said like they said all the rules for the um for the monks and everything like that. And like then there was another guy who was a novice monk, and they say yeah, that, those rules don't apply to him. You can pretty much well, you know, novices in Thailand and monks in Thailand in general. Although Suan Mok, I think, is probably pretty good, but you know, Buddha Dasso is a bit out on his own uh, path anyway. But uh, novices in Thailand are. I remember when I was in Thailand and there was this, they, they ordain them so young and they have no idea and the novices are not interested in Buddhism at all really. Um, and so there was this novice who was just doubled over in pain because he hadn't eaten in the morning and he was just so hungry and so, uh, oh I remember what happened, he had, um, he, everyone was picking on him, he was a little bit weird. He there was this really interesting case. He was like a feral child almost. Not not feral, but he hadn't ever really been taken care of, so he could speak. But he had no manners and no sense of etiquette and very much like a very very animalistic in many ways. He was yeah. a hard kid, but he was he was a nice kid. He was just didn't really understand um, social mores and niceties. Um, and so he was. He, he ordained with as a novice with all these other kids, and he was playing with them. And one one time he was running in through a, a door, and uh, I think he like grabbed the, the grabbed something, and someone slammed the door on his baby finger and cut off a, a good uh, three quarters of an inch, mm. uh, probably a whole knuckle actually. And uh, I think they put it back on, or I can't remember. But anyway, he was blood everywhere and terrible pain, and and they didn't know what to do with him. So I said I'd take care of him, or I just took him in. At one, you know, he was really upset, and so I just took him into my kuti, and he stayed with me for at least one night. I think he stayed with me one night, and then when they saw that we got along really well, he ended up staying with me for a few more nights. I think. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so 
then at night he he was really because there was many things he couldn't eat apparently if you have they were afraid of infection or something i didn't my tie wasn't very good at the time this was many many years ago and uh, i didn't quite understand what he was talking about but i said so can you have this can you have uh, this this he said no i can't have this and he was really sad and crying because he couldn't eat all the foods that he wanted i said what about is there anything you can eat and he said oh this fish i can eat i said okay I gave him 20 baht and go get that fish back then. It was early in the years. I was still using money. Yep. Uh, most monks in Thailand use money. Yep. And so I just had to, it was evening, you know, it was, it was, I said, here, here's some money. Go get your, get your fish. Yep. So they, I mean, they don't really, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I obviously wouldn't do that now, but there was, there was another time where uh, here in Stony Creek, my first year as a monk, the same thing, you know, these kids come and, oh, that was a really interesting summer. Um, they, all these young Canadian-born kids who had way less interest in Buddhism than the Thai kids. And they came and they were bribed to become monk, to become novices, like given hundreds or hundreds of dollars just to stay with us for two weeks. And uh, so they just lay around and play their PlayStation. After they yeah. after they became novices, they just lay and they were right in the room beside me, and they were cursing and swearing and talking about women in derogatory ways, and you know, just it, it got to the point because I had I didn't want anything to do with this. I said this is not you know for me. Uh, but finally, I'd had enough, and I this is this is you shouldn't be doing this in the monastery as novices. So I went and I through the breaker on their room and this was the middle of the summer where it was it was deadly hot and so suddenly their fans didn't work <laughs> their lights didn't work their playstation certainly didn't work um anyway it was an interesting summer but one interesting part was there was a very very thin high metabolism kid who was just ready to faint because he didn't have enough food now if he had been interested in meditation he probably could have done away with it but these you know this was really a lost cause none of them should have been ordained yeah you know it was a really interesting experience for them i will give, give you that but i don't know but it, it, there were good pros and cons about it, for it yeah. uh, so anyway i said and so there was him he was like super thin and he became friends with the with with another kid, one of the other younger novices, young novices who was uh, like a, a bowling ball, <laughs> pudgy, who was also very hungry, but he could clearly, you know, he was clearly doing okay. So I um, I went in the kitchen. This was at night. I went in the kitchen. I made a, a tuna sandwich because I knew they weren't allowed to eat in the evenings. I made this tuna sandwich or something, put it out on the counter, and then I walked over to their their room and I said to him, I said. Now there's a there's a tuna sandwich in the kitchen on the counter, and if I come back and it's gone, well, you know, uh, it's gone. <laughs> so he ran into the kitchen, and then the other kid with the, the bigger kid looks at me like this, <laughs> like you don't need one. But obviously, you're familiar with um, Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu, his um, writings. Do, do you have any sort of take on that? Because he seems very pragmatic. Like, um, yeah, um, there's a lot of a lot of scholars, mainstream Buddhist scholars in Thailand are critical of him. That's what I know. Um, All right. So, 
personally, what I know is that he was eclectic and um, had his own sort of take on things. That's as far as I know. I don't know too much about him. Right. I know. I know. Of course, he 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 wrote the handbook for mankind, and he taught Anapanasati. Just yes. a different tradition. So it's just a different tradition from ours. So obviously, it's inferior. I just don't know how inferior. I'm just kidding. He's got to find your tribe, I guess. Find your find your uh, people. In no, I'm just kidding. I mean, obviously, I believe ours our tradition is best, but. You know, could there be a better one? Sure. Uh, mm. So I don't. I'm just being so. No. But he, he was quite a renowned Buddhist scholar, um, as far as I understood. Like, um, well, he was like, uh, Yeah, yeah. Like, um, they were saying like the whole. Uh, you know, there's there's libraries of his translations and that in the in the. Um, in well, Bangkok really early on when I was studying Buddhism early on just looking at all teachers after I'd practiced meditation um, I, I didn't really know what tradition we were in I didn't know we were affiliated with Mahasi Sayadaw so I just started reading all sorts of stuff yeah and um, but what was interesting I left Jom Tong the meditation center went to Bangkok and I was looking for a book on Buddhism and I went mm -hmm. to Asia books in Bangkok in one of the big towers and um, just went to the Buddhism section. And I looked, and there was this. There were there were books, you know, with flowers on them, and and all sorts of things. But then there was this one book, black cover, with an oval picture frame on the front, and a a, a drawing of this monk with with black rimmed glasses, looking like this. Yes. Yeah. Buddha Dasa figure. Yeah. <laughs> no, not Buddha Dasa. Not Buddha Dasa. Mahasi Sayadaw. Oh, okay. Anyway, the point, anyway, point is, um, my first book was on Mahasi Sayadaw, but then I read all sorts of other things. And so Mahasi Sayadaw, and this was at a time I had no idea that he was at all affiliated with what we were doing, but when I read this book, it was really, it affected me deeply. It, was, it resonated with me. I read yeah. Handbook for Mankind, or part, part of it, most of it, and it yeah. didn't resonate with me. And this, again, was at a time where I didn't know who was who. So I, it was unbiased. And it, mm. it was kind of boring. I found Handbook for Mankind kind of dull. Mm. On the other hand, I also found Upandita's book in this very life to be rather dull. So I don't know. One thing I, um, I find a little bit frustrating is, um, you know, like the, there's the, the four tetrads and like, you got step one, two, three, and four, and then then you're meant to go into the the jhanas and all that, but mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. So very rare for we in my as yeah. a layman and that, and like in amongst like the seventy or eighty other people that were there at the that are there at the retreats and that they're all going okay. Well, it's time to move on to step five, but step five. You know, the absorption never really happens. Mm -hmm. Right. No, I wouldn't take the book that way. I mean, he's he's just he's basically telling what's going on, and the, the texts are all talking about this. He's just reciting what's in the text. So um, you really need lots of time to get there. I wouldn't put a time limit on it. Yeah, well, that's the um, that you can't you can't choose when you go to the next step. No. 
No, it's very um, uh, seductive, though. To, mm. you know, it's a very sounds like it'd be a very pleasant state to sort mm. of get into. I don't know. I've never experienced this myself. Um, and speaking to like um, one of the older monks there, I said, "Oh, how many times have you experienced like the, you know, the lights of the mind, the the jhanas?" And he said, "Oh, maybe four times in my whole life." So that was a bit, bit of a letdown for me. But I don't know. Do you have any sort of feedback on that? I didn't quite catch what you you were saying. Um, just the 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 absorb like oh, um, when you get into the state where you're sort of seeing the the lights in the mind was like a. Um, yeah, well, um, that tradition is very different from ours. Um, I don't yeah. follow Buddha does. So it's a different tradition. Yeah. So uh, and Cha sort of was along the same. If if you see lights in our tradition, you would say to yourself, seeing, seeing. Yeah, yeah. Until it goes away. Yeah. Uh, totally different style, then, I guess. Mm. Alexander, do you have a question? Oh. Uh, Thank you, thank you for for uh, giving me the opportunity to to ask. Um, I'm sorry that my camera isn't working. Uh, there's a certain problem with it. Mm. Um, I, I I have a couple of questions. Um, uh, first of all, I I wanted to ask you that how did you take all uh, the Buddhist view with with you being sort of um, a Westerner. I don't understand. You mean the Thai view, I think. Okay, hmm? the the Thai view. Okay. How did I manage handle it? How did I? How was how, I... how did you how did you take it? I'm sorry if my English is not good. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. Um, how how did you sort of uh, encompass it within you? How did you create it, your own view? How did you fell into it? How did it start like, to resonate with you? Like, like, did I, did I appreciate it, or was it hard for me to be in Thailand, for example? Is that what you're trying to ask? Or what? Or, or as a person who has no background in Buddhism, how was I able to appreciate Buddhism? So, I, I, I watched your, your video about um, how you became a Buddhist monk, so I, I was interested in how did you... Uh, because you, you had all the, the Western views, mm. I, I presume. Well, I was a Taoist at the time. I was really into Taoism, or the Tao Te Ching, anyway. That was my religion at the time. Uh -huh. So, not really. I didn't have a lot of Western views. I'm kind of a weird sort of person. I, I grew up in the forest. I was homeschooled. Um, I was very an, anti-Christian. I think it still shows. Um, but but kind of really... There were, I think there were two, two types of people that I really didn't like, Americans and Christians. <laughs> that was sort of my, my, my belief at the time. That's, Sorry, that I've, got to, I've got to log out now. Um, okay. But thank you so much for your time. Nice to see you. You too. Thanks very much. Have a good night. Good morning. You too. Um, right. So yeah, just that 
and I was brought up Jewish, but didn't subscribe to any views. If the, only, the only view I might have had is a view of God, but I'd kind of grown out of that as well. I don't remember. But I was very much, um, I don't know. I mean, I've seen people who come to Thailand, lots of them, and are very, very critical. I think, um, I don't know. I remember, I, I vaguely remember something some sort of experience that, or some sort of philosophy that I was, I had, I had come across was like, not to be that way. I didn't want to be that person. Maybe it was more of a like, not be a tourist, you know? If you go to a place, um, and I think that that's another category of person, the people who go to say Thailand and are very keen to follow the Thai ways. There's two types of people. I, I suppose I would fall more in the uh, type of person who was keen to uh, fit in. I was very keen to fit in. Um, eventually, I grew out of that. But I think that's how easy how it was easy as I was keen to fit in. So I was very impressionable and purposefully, I guess. Um, I was I was really letting myself get caught up in the ways of the country, to some extent. I mean, obviously not. But I think the real people who have a real problem are those people who are, I guess you could say, diti charita, who, who, who are uncompromising in their views and believe they shouldn't have to bend, or they're not interested. In, maybe they don't. They should. They don't have to. But they're of the belief that that um, they're of the bent not to change their views. So just because everyone else does it this way, you know, when in Rome, screw the Romans. Kind of. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you. Thank you very much about answering this question. Um, so an another question that I had is uh, sort of uh, like, of course, uh, you talk a lot about suffering and uh, like, for example, you, you find yourself into a situation which you know that causes you problems. That uh, someone had made you uh, angry or uh, you recognize the problem. Mm -hmm. But you still cannot detach yourself from it. You cannot relieve mm -hmm. the, the, the pain. Yeah. So what do you do in, in those moments? Well, you, you fail. That's in, that's what does one do? That's a failure. You, you weren't capable enough, mindful enough, pure enough to deal with it. So there's nothing you can do. You, you failed. The idea is to train ourselves so that doesn't happen. You know, when you're upset, well, it's already too late. You've already gotten upset. I mean, that's, that's sort of the, that's a more cutting answer. But the more generic answer is you would just, you know, pick up the pieces and, and, and try again. You would, in other words, you'd be mindful when you're angry, when you're upset. You know? Be mindful of your upset. You'd say to yourself, upset, upset. I mean, I mean, that's really the beauty of the practice, is you can never be in a situation where you can't start meditating, where it's too late, where you're, you're incapable of it. Now, no matter what the situation is, once you realize, once you have the awareness, you say, oh, I'm really angry then absolutely you can start meditating right then. Mm -hmm. But it's really about building up the, the, the habit of it. 
so that it, it becomes habitual so that when someone yells at you right away you say hearing hearing or if you get upset you say upset and you're quick to, to cut it off that's why we meditate you know when you meditate it, it, it provides you with this we have thank to you. train thank you I guess um, I'm not uh, not like you I'm not like uh, most of your followers or, or serious people who, who, who watch this uh, I don't meditate regularly yeah. So well, there's your problem. Uh -huh. Have you read my booklet? Uh, no, actually, I was sort of uh, yesterday. I was uh, in my country. It's like four a.m., so I was uh, hanging on the internet, and I I saw that you're going live, and I I listened yeah. to you. Okay. I got all yeah. agitated. Like, how can I join? How can I ask? Well, if you're interested, you're welcome to, to I, I'd recommend you read my booklet on how to meditate. Yes, I, I downloaded it. I'm, I'm going to read it. What's your native language? Uh, Macedonian. Wow. It's a Slavic language. Hmm. Don't think we have a, a Macedonian translation. No, you do not need it. I, I understand English perfectly well. Okay. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Okay, so um, if you do not mind, I can. I would like to to ask you one more thing. Sure. Um, I sort of uh, come to a conclusion like when I see a dog or a cat or a bird, and no longer see something different, I, I sort of see life just life, the same thing as I would see in another human being. So I, I think I would like to ask you as, like, where is that? Is this sort of a quote-unquote correct thought? Yeah, we're not very much like that. I mean, yeah, as you say, quote-unquote. Um, for us, it's just about being mindful. If you have that thought, you should be aware of that thought. Mm -hmm. See that thought as arising and ceasing. It comes to your mind and then it ceases. Because if you react to it, you say that's good, and you feel happy about it, you'll become attached to it. You'll become even egotistical about it. Okay, thank so, you. Yeah. There's not really good and bad experiences. There's only your reactions to them. I mean, there are there are those experiences of wisdom, of understanding, but even those uh, should be seen as thoughts that arise and cease. And they come more often as you practice meditation, you start to see clearer, and insights will come. You know, clear okay. up. And, uh, uh, but, like, if you do not have that uh, that pressure from the sort of humanity that that uh, uh, that pressure from your feelings I think that a lot of things w wouldn't have been done for example I, I read a lot about uh, Tesla or uh, Einstein mm -hmm. you have these people which are driven by something on the inside and of course they have you can you can definitely argue that they're not mindful at all times. But nonetheless, it it 
it gives some kind of a, a progress. So mm. do you think that progress is, to what? Yes. Where are we headed? Sort of. Uh, yesterday you talked about uh, Bernie Sanders and sort of a mild socialism, how we all should work together, but then again, work for what? If, if right. this well, progress. It's, not, it's not quite like that. It's we should be good to each other. We should cultivate goodness because that's what leads to, to something. What we're working towards is freedom, uh, freedom from suffering. But that only comes through goodness. So goodness is a good thing. Goodness is leading to progress. That's why I like Bernie Sanders, not because he's going to I don't know, lead America somewhere, but he's, he's, he, he's making the world a better place. He's, making, he's bringing people to greater goodness. I, I can see that. You know, his followers are um, becoming more conscious as people and, and taking his example of, of not being a negative. He's, he's not running a negative campaign, you know. And, and he's showing people that, you know, to rise above this, this hatred and divisiveness and so on. I think he's doing that. I mean, it's, I, I don't mean to praise him too much, but it's yeah. just the, the goodness factor, I think, is there. I, I'm sure he's not a saint. I think he gets angry a lot. <laughs> but uh, his heart, I think, is, yes, they say, in the right place, for the most part. Okay. Well, thank you very much for, for the opportunity. Yeah. And uh, if I have further questions, I'm going to join you again on your sessions. Sure. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd push you to read my book, to, to read the booklet and start meditating, because this is really for a forum for meditators. So if you're, if you're not interested in meditation, we're not really geared towards non-meditative dialogue. No, I, I am interested. I, I am very interested, but I, I fail to... to, to utilize it in my everyday schedule okay uh, well you, you have your homework then yes thank you thank you very much have a good night and good night everyone that's all for tonight